0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. Um, I feel like it's every week that I'm like, man, we're so excited for this conversation. But truly, 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 um, this is a real special conversation that we shared. Zach and I are both just huge uh, fans, really, and deeply inspired by the guests we had today, who really, uh, in many ways, if you grew up in Canada, this person um, needs no introduction. But I will. I will give one just in case you've been under a rock somewhere or perhaps you're listening from another land outside of uh, this place we know as Canada. Our guest today is Rick Hansen and truly uh, Rick is an incredible human being. He's the founder of the Rick Hansen Foundation and is a passionate supporter of people with disabilities in Canada. Rick is often best known as the man in motion for his uh, epic 26-month 34 country and 40,000 kilometer wheelchair trip literally around the world and he did that to make the world aware of the need for inclusive spaces for people with disabilities and to help find a cure for paralysis of which he himself has suffered. Uh, Since the end of his Man in Motion world tour which wrapped up in 1987 Rick has dedicated his life to creating a world that is accessible and inclusive for all by removing barriers for people with disabilities through his Rick Hansen Foundation. We are truly, truly inspired by Rick, as so many others. Um, you know, mentioning in the in the lead up, we when we were gonna record this conversation, talking to people saying, man, uh, you'll never guess who's coming on the pod, Rick Hansen. They're like, what? That's amazing. And it feels like everyone at least who grew up here um, really has a story about how Rick Hansen and the Man in Motion Tour like touched their lives and and it just felt so special to be able to sit uh, across from him and and share some of our own story and share space and hear his his w- words of wisdom and um, yeah just to kind of get to know the man behind the Man in Motion. Yes
1: the conversation was so special I was so moved by uh, just one sharing space with Rick but uh to having the privilege of sharing conversation, mm-hmm. and uh, I think in, in honor of that, uh, you know, not to take up too much space with our usual ramble, I think <laughs> let's uh, let's just uh, let's get into this
0: one and uh, turn it over to Rick. Today's episode is brought to you by AG One. We love AG One because when we drink it, we know it is our foundational nutritional supplement that delivers comprehensive nutrients for the whole body health. AG1 really replaces all of your multivitamins, probiotics, and more in one simple and delicious drinkable habit. It's science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients is going to support your health. We love it. We drink it every day. It's part of our morning ritual. We know that when we drink it, we've got our daily nutritional needs met. It has 75 high quality vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients. Honestly, I can't think of another daily routine that pays off as well as AG1, which is why I trust this product so much and literally use it every day. We love AG1. If you are looking for a simpler, effective investment in your health, try AG1 and get five free AG1 travel packs and a year. Supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. All you got to do, is go to drinkag1.com slash more good. That's drinkag1.com slash more good. Check it out, friends. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of A Little More Good. We are really excited uh, to have uh, today's guest on and to share this conversation with you. We are joined today by the one and only man in motion, Rick Hansen. (laughs) Thank you for being here today, Rick. um, Zach and I were saying before uh, we started recording, You're really this kind of iconic figure for people who grew up in the, you know, mid 80s, early 90s in the Vancouver area and really beyond as your tour, which we'll get into, went around the globe. Um, But I feel like, you know, as I mentioned to people like, oh, they're asking, how's the podcast going? Who's some guests coming on? I said, oh, we have Rick Hansen coming on. And people are like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Like, that's so cool. (laughs) And, uh, you know, even more cool to find out that you're just like neighbors of ours here, which is pretty sweet. Um, But it seems like everybody has this Rick Hansen story, you know, there's some connection to you, which is, I think, really cool. One of the things we love about this podcast and, and one of the things we celebrate is like our positive trail, right? We're here on the Fraser River and we see boats and they leave that wake and we celebrate that a boat can go and it might not necessarily know like where those waves are going to end up or what shore they're going to wash up on and I think that you are someone who's left an immense positive trail and uh, I can think you know off the top of my head my mom yesterday was like I remember being there you know when he left Oak Ridge and then like two years later I was I was two at the time and she's like we were there and he came back into Vancouver and we're all cheering and everyone's lining the streets and You know, uh, just all of these stories for myself when I was, I think, in grade four or five, we had to pick someone that we thought was like a hero or an idol, someone that we looked up to. And I remember doing a a presentation on Rick Hansen, the man in motion. (laughs) And it's just so cool that you're sitting across the table from me today and we get to share your story with maybe some people who've never heard it. And talk about who you are as a person, the incredible work you've done, and some of the things that you're even up to today, the things that you're equally passionate about, bringing accessibility, conserving Sturgeon in the Fraser River here, and uh, all of the things that make you you. So thank you for being here. It's an
2: honor. It's a privilege. Well, thanks for having me. appreciate you guys. Yeah.
0: I thought as um, kind of
1: a launch pad for this conversation, there's so many areas that we're excited to dive into, but... um, You know, as Dean mentioned, we kind of grew up with with your story, and uh, I remember as a a kid that was in elementary school in the 90s, uh, we had a poster, uh, we're just going to toot your horn for a little bit longer, then we'll get into the story. We had (laughs) four posters on our, our wall in, I think, our grade two class. It was yourself, Terry Fox. Wayne Gretzky and David Suzuki. Oh, so wow. uh, that was like a formidable, like geez. foursome in my mind of like, you know, Canadian icons. It's like heroes. the Canadian Rushmore, right? Yeah. There. Well,
2: <laughs> I'm honored to be in that class of those three gentlemen because, uh, they are amazing Canadians and oh. I know them all well in different ways and respect the heck out of them. And yeah. so for more than just their, their talents, uh, for who they are as human beings. And so, uh, Yeah. Thank you for that. Appreciate
1: it. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good role models to grow up with. So we're excited, excited for today. And, and for, you know, those that might be living under a rock and haven't heard your story yet, I thought we could kind of start this, this conversation. Um, We're a big fan of uh, kind of campfire stories of sitting Mm -hmm. around and, and the power of storytelling and when that could lead to, you know, often when you go traveling and you get back together and you hear those travel stories or you know, you head down to Gilbert Beach down here and you, you set a fire even you're not supposed to. And, oh, was and, that you guys? Uh, no, it's, that's not, maybe when <laughs> no, I was a teenager. I know better now. But um, <laughs> maybe in that kind of camp for, campfire kind of setting, you can kind of share your story of of how your life changed uh, when you were a 15-year-old uh, you know, teenager and, and kind of the course that that set for yourself.
2: Yeah, thanks. You know, I guess we're all on journeys, aren't we? Yeah. And I, that's the only authentic part of... Who we are is the, the, the choices we make, the experiences we have, how we've grown up with our families, and things that happen to us. The insights, the perspective, the growth, and and uh, and ultimately how we decide to you know make things happen. Uh, you know, turning challenge and adversity into opportunity and uh, chances to grow and contribute. And my journey is no different than anyone else's. And uh, young kid uh, born in Port Alberni on Vancouver Island, and whole life revolved around physical activity and the use of my legs. I was an adventurer. I mean, they say that your character is often formed in the first six years of life. And if that's true, I was one of the most blessed kids on the planet because I was uh, growing up with, you know, my, obviously my family, uh, mom, dad, uh, my younger brother and new baby sister. Uh, The other one hadn't arrived yet. And and then there was my grandfather about a hundred feet, you know, up the hill uh, in and my uncle and aunt and cousins were right next door to us and we were on a 10 acre plot of land and it went into an orchard and then it was bordered by this creek called Consexus Creek and and every part of it was just like wow you know and and then every once in a while I got treated to the stories and then the legends of my grandfather and uncle and dad coming back from these big fishing trips Mm -hmm. you know down rivers or out to lakes and you know, into the ocean with whales and salmon, and I got to then show up and travel with them once in a while. And and it, uh, it was just phenomenal. And I, I think that was really important for me. It set the tone, you know, like, uh, yeah, always generating an adventure and being connected to nature and and really doing a lot of fishing. and And, and, and then also the lessons you learn with the camaraderie. You know, you, you have common bonds with your father and your grandfather, your uncle, your cousins. And 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 then every once in a while you get to these moments where, uh, you know, it's something that you'll never forget, like my uh, dad telling me, you know, we're going to go to this special lake. And I go, special lake? Where? Oh, this, you know, you'll you'll find out. And so I, for weeks I was peeing myself with excitement and finally the morning came and I woke up and didn't sleep much all night. and and off we went through the forest, you know, the rainforest in the west coast of Vancouver Island. And we emerged out of this trail and, you know, the mist was rising off the lake and, and there's this like, you know, loon and, you know, and, and fish jumping. And, and I I said, oh, dad, where are we going? And he says out here. And and there was a a big old uh, tree that had fallen down and out into the lake. And, uh, and he had been there before and he'd nailed a piece of plywood out onto the out onto the uh, edge of the tree where it was into deeper water and I immediately shrunk with fear like how are we going to get out there and he goes don't worry he says I've got you and uh and as we were making our way I stumbled a bit and he had me and and we got out onto that platform and we fished and caught all these great fish and and it was just an experience of a lifetime and then coming back it was something that happened I had formed this trust and this confidence and ke- coming back, I, I, I didn't miss a beat, and uh, and I'd gone to a different level on two fronts. Face your fears, trust someone, mm-hmm. and uh, and it set me up for uh, so many more of those moments in the future. So, uh, great moments, and, and then we moved and uh, to a few different places. My dad was involved with; he was working with BC Telephone, and and then uh, eventually we ended up in Williams Lake, British Columbia, and it was the iconic. Uh, period of grade 10 all-star athlete dreams of maybe representing your your country at the Olympic or Paralympic Games one day and uh, well didn't know about the Paralympic Games back then but then uh, on a grade 10 uh, you know end of grade 10 adventure we went to the Bella Coola Valley and and we were going to go trout fishing and then salmon fishing and and then ultimately uh, on the way back we ended up hitchhiking and you know got a ride in the back of a pickup truck and the truck crashed Rolled over and uh, threw me to the back first against the steel toolbox and broke my back and damaged my spinal cord. And a few hours later, I was told by the doctor I'd never walk again. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine, you know, as a kid growing up uh, on adventures and being connected to the outdoors and sport and physical activity and the use of your legs, and every, all of a sudden there you are laying on the side of that uh, road. With debris piled up on you, and uh, your back is killing you, and you're barely conscious, and and you can't you can't move your legs, and you touch them, and they're numb, and they just wiggle like jelly.
0: Wow, that would be like a yeah, like just a surreal experience. I mean, yeah. imagine in that moment, like all of the things playing through your mind, like oh, is yeah. it like is it will it come back? Is it like just some sort of temporary injury? Is this going to be my reality and then having to reconcile upon hearing from the doctors like no this is this is the reality now that you're facing starting starting over again in many ways being like okay this is a new this is a new way of living that I'm gonna have to learn and experience and what was that like that process of being someone like you said raised on adventure ready to go take on the world and athletics and I'm sure had all of these dreams and hopes and then to sit there and go okay like now what what does it look like to reframe yeah this life
2: well it was so critical but of course the first phase was you know denial i mean uh, literally i couldn't believe i mean i'd not had the odd injury here and there and, and i knew friends had broken their bones and <laughs> you know they healed up they had them in a cast and then back they were going again but i had no idea what the spinal cord was all about and right. how complex it was so i didn't believe that doctor i thought well oh, screw you i'm gonna i'm gonna will my way and so they took me by ambulance seven hours from Williams Lake down to Royal Columbian Hospital down here. There was no special spinal cord treatment center. It took me three days to get operated on. And, and uh, but I'm now in a striker bed, like a, a bed is about six and a half feet long. like a diving board, you know, really hard. And, and then they kind of sandwich you in and they have it pinned on each end. And then they spin you face up and then three hours later spin you face down so that you don't develop pressure sores as you're stabilizing your spine, which is the old way that they would treat you. And it was like this crazy period where, you know, the whole summer, it was June 27th uh, of 1973, and this whole summer was ticking along for the first two months in that state. And, you know, and every moment, Of every waking moment i'm sitting there willing my toes to move and and you know doing everything i humanly possibly can to command my body Mm. through the power of positive thinking and prayer and you know almost getting to the point where i'd start to think about (laughs) selling my soul for the use of my legs like i was Mm -hmm. i wanted it all back and and i was going to make it happen and then the months started to tick away and nothing happened wow that's when really started to sink in right yeah
1: so along that process like where how did you switch your mindset from denial I'm sure anger um sadness into you know what would become eventually the the man in motion
2: I think the first piece of that whole process is when you get into those darkest moments um something does kind of help you at least create a glimmer of hope. Hope is the most important ingredient in any journey in life. And when you lose that, you've lost everything. And that has to be not taken from you. It's something you have to surrender. And I think for me, the hope came in the darkest moment of that phase when I was face down in the middle of night and I started to have a, a, a visceral reaction to You know the spinal cord injury, and uh, got a fever, and started to feel nausea, the headache, and and I was strapped to the bed, and I could just barely reach the call sign uh, signal, and and called the nurse, but nobody came in because they were on shift change, and so I I threw up, and I'm strapped to the bed, looking down at this reality, and just completely like done. They came in, you know, an hour later, and cleaned it up, and. Flipped me upside and gave me something for the pain and the fever and and uh, and as that day unfolded that next morning I I just kind of went okay like what 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 can you focus on and I went you know I had trouble even lifting my arm to grab that call sign uh, signal and uh, you know and because I hadn't even been exercising my what I could use which is my arms and I went okay can you get me something like can somebody bring me some rubber bands or something to start working your arms. And, and that was my, that was my beginning. Uh, That was like, okay, I can't, it's not happening here right now. So let's get going. Let's get, keep the arms going. And I started exercising and, uh, and I started occupying my mind on what I could do, not what I couldn't do, but still, still dreaming and still, hoping and praying for some recovery. And, and then one goal leads to the next, you know, from the arms to, you know, getting up in a normal bed for my 16th birthday on August the 26th. And that moment, first time I got to sit up and see the faces of the friends I'd been sharing that room with or look out the window and see at least the view. And, and it was a, a motivator. And then from there to the wheelchair, Okay, out of the bed. Now okay, I don't like that wheelchair. It's a symbol of disability and, and but I'm going to use it cuz it's all I've got. It's going to get me back in motion again and start cruising the halls and, you know, and 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 thinking about getting home mm-hmm. and, and what's the next step and going to rehab and uh, getting more training and using that athlete mentality which, you know, the skills you've learned started to envision and maybe imagine what what dreams, you know, a dark a dark canvas of despair, and put borders of texture, of color, and light, and hope, uh, of possibilities, which was like a long process, but little ideas, like yeah, maybe one day I get out of here and I'll I'll wheel around the world with my buddies. We were going to do it as bike adventures, and and uh, but ah, whatever, that's crazy, and and on on you go. But that was the beginning, and every time you get to a place where where, uh, you get comfortable. Um, there's a book called the flow. If you've ever read it, you should, it's interesting. It's the, you know, the psychology of optimal performance mm-hmm. and, and it's a, de- it's the dynamic tension between, uh, skill and challenge. And, uh, and when you're over your head, you know, you're vibrating like crazy. And then when you build up the skill, you settle down and you feel like you're in the zone and then, uh, then if you're not careful, you get complacent and a bit bored and you put more tension on and, and you vibrate and it's, you know, it's trying to stay in that wave. And for me, it was moving from hospital to rehab center. Um, that was a huge step and a big nervous, uh, tension point. And then, you know, figuring out what it would take to get home four months in the rehab center, learning that home meant a life of stairs, but now I, I can't use my legs. So I had to think about, well, could I use braces that would stabilize my legs to help me stand up with crutches and hop and, uh, and well, yeah, but how do you get up the stairs? Well, you have to learn how to hop upstairs. You have to build immense strength and coordination and endurance and, and besides that wheelchair is kind of like a symbol of disability. So I don't want to be seen in that chair because it makes me feel more disabled because that's my handicap and I hadn't realized it yet. But the crutches and the braces took almost every waking moment from those sweat drenched moments, just standing up in a, in a set of parallel bars to taking a few steps in a walker to then on crutches then around the hallways and then eventually up and down from the basement up to the top of the fourth floor and down again multiple times before I was discharged. And then reframing their expectations of rehab, which was they would say for spinal cord injury at my level, six months. And I said, well, six months is too long. I want to get back to my, my goal was get back to my second semester of grade 11, rejoin my buddies and my friends and cohorts and graduate on time. Well that's impossible why well here's what you have to do okay let's get a list knock them off let's go and and the next thing you know um you know in time for the second semester i was going home and uh and shaky and nervous again and now it's the real stuff like yeah the barriers were tough but it was the barriers of my mind the handicaps the prejudices that i had inherited from you know back uh, when I was growing up about disability mm-hmm. like you know like I should be pitied you know uh, there's not much opportunity um, there's no sport opportunities I you know that's all done uh, the outdoors no uh, why 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 well it's because you know I think that you know somehow the definition of an athlete means that you have to use your legs you know but in reality no that's not the definition of an athlete Paralympic sport was there um being whole is not being independent, it's being interdependent and accepting help. And next thing you know, I was able to get piggybacked down to a fishing hole with my brother and my dad, and and I could be a phys ed teacher, a coach. I didn't need to use my legs. Oh, my teachers helped me. And so I was surrounded by this, uh, this kind of progression of facing barriers, most of them in my mind, being supported by family, friends, and community. And, and then the choice though is always yours and the effort and the work is yours. But without that support, I don't, I don't know where I would have been. And so that set the table for me to then start to dream about getting really back into sport. And, uh, and eventually, of course, that led to so many other amazing things.
1: Mm. We're, um, we're big fans of start lines versus finish lines. And yeah. I know that's something that you've spoken on as well. Um, I want to get into the man in motion, but just kind of hanging out in this period for a few more minutes. Um, can you talk about that first day back at high school as like a uh, start line?
2: Yeah, it was uh, brutal. Like, yeah, I mean, uh, I was like, uh, you know, pretty uh, pr- terrified. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how 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 is it going to feel for me? Um, but probably the bigger thing is how is it going to feel uh, in the – and the reflection back from my friends and my peers, and my teammates and my teachers. And, uh, and I was really self-conscious. And, but you know, the, when you're afraid, sometimes you have to strive, you know, in spite of it. And, uh, and it's not usually as bad as you imagine and, and, and you break through. And, and that first day, uh, you know, I hopped my way into, into school and hopped my way up the stairs because it was filled with stairs, except the gym and i had my wheelchair and my truck and i parked that for the gym and the pure part was hard but the hardest part was going through the doors of the gym where you know six or seven months ago i'd been you know with my team and there they were doing quarter drills off in the corner with uh, my coach and and here i am like like this million miles away Mm. having to watch that and try to digest that and and, uh, and fortunately though, my, my coach and teacher, phys ed teacher, Bob Redford, uh, he knew that sport was my life. He knew that these were my friends, that this is my culture. He, he brought me into coaching, uh, with the team and, uh, and with other teams. He, you know, he and the teachers got me into substitute teaching to show that I could teach and, and, and he really introduced me to Paralympic sport and, And so all of a sudden over time that, uh, you know, that, that reconnection happened, you know, in an organic way, you know, stayed friends with my buddies, um, redefined my relationships through adventures and then was introduced to Paralympic sport, which became an unbelievable journey into itself. Mm -hmm. Amazing.
0: Yeah, and many, many accolades to your name in, in the Paralympic sport world. And I mean, I think it's just incredible like for anyone listening, we've all had to face like different levels of adversity and challenge in our life. And, and you kind of said that out, uh, out of the gate. And I think that one thing that's like so important to pick up on that you shared is like that that part of you that never dwindled, which was like your commitment to just like the next thing. Right. Whether it was like getting sitting up in bed or getting yourself into the chair or then getting around and and doing the rehab, getting out of the hospital, back to school. All of these things that were challenges or maybe we could even call them like the next adventure. And yet you were able to, with support, with community and this resolve, like rise to those occasions and do incredible things. Right. Some of them obviously we'll, we'll talk about, but even just those those moments of like walking back in through the doors of your high school. Yeah is truly an incredible thing, right? And, and, and we think about it as like, okay, yeah, that's one small step in terms of like your journey to who you are becoming, but like that mentality that you have is incredible. And I think that's something that we all have within ourselves. It's just a matter of, of finding it and nurturing it and having that self-belief and community around you to help you strive forward.
2: And I've learned that fear is a powerful force in reality and and fear can be uh, a positive force or a negative force, and and uh, and to know the difference is super important. And a lot of my fears, you know, could have literally been barriers to completely limit me from moving forward. And these were fears that were driven uh, by a lack of understanding and awareness, and and and, a, and, a, and an unknown. But that wasn't enough to prevent me from breaking through that barrier mm-hmm. and and seeing what was on the other side and and thank God I was able to do that because I couldn't I couldn't have imagined uh, what might have uh, not been on the other side like you know if I hadn't gone there uh, you know like a life of limitation uh, you know like limited beliefs of self uh, you know like constant you know, Feeling like I was a victim of things that weren't real, um, and I think the maxims we set in our minds are the uh, are they work for us when they do, but then we have to really analyze them. and And for me, you know, the ability to you know, to analyze that, where was the pain really coming from? Mm-hmm. And and the and the pain was usually coming from you know these these kind of beliefs that I had that were just not working anymore. I mean everything was there for me. Everything that I ever was wanted to be just is different. And uh, the only way I'd be able to find that is to get nervous, you know, be afraid, but still break through and see what's on the other side mm. and carry on on the journey.
0: I love that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just that like true sense of adventure and exploration and curiosity. Yeah. I was on the, uh, a moment in my life where i was contemplating you know what do i do here big move kind of career wise and a friend of mine said well what if you lived with more curiosity than fear mm-hmm. and i was like that's good because we need a little bit of both but yeah. sometimes you need to be more curious than afraid and and i, I love that i love so that true. that's sh- like shone through in your whole story from from walking out on the lake with yeah. Dad, you know to yeah. to getting to the start line of the man in motion tour
2: yeah yeah well and and, and fear obviously should be listened to because there is a difference between taking risks and being reckless. Right. And that's, I've learned that too. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we'll tell those stories, but (laughs) I'm sure you,
1: you, you wheeled yourself through 30 plus countries. So I'm sure there was a bit of risk and, and recklessness and, you know, curiosity and adventure and all of that in that process. Yeah.
2: Like coming, coming down to, Vancouver and and actually you know attending UBC was a massive a massive risk because could I make it you know it wasn't accessible they weren't even admitting me at first into the faculty of physical education because I was in a wheelchair and I had to break that down I was introduced to the you know the Vancouver cable cars and the this dream team of wheelchair basketball players and and then I ended up meeting, uh, well, I ended up getting challenged by a difference maker on our team, the manager, Stan Strong, who's a, you know an obscure Canadian who gave everything to be the manager of our team. And he had a spinal cord injury and he was injured in the 30s when people with spinal cord injury didn't survive. I would talk about being in the hospital for four months. He laughed and said, four years for me, wow. four years. And, uh, And no rehab centers and nothing. And this guy was like, every time I saw him, he had this uh, this smile and he was radiating. And I just couldn't figure it out at first. You know, like he must be faking it. You know, what's (laughs) wrong with this guy? You know, doesn't he know he has a disability? But he was like choosing, and uh, and he was filled with purpose. He he saw beauty, love, and ability and purpose and those things actually were all about every day for him. And even though he lived with the pain and the suffering and the indignity and the barriers, but he 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 forged his mindfulness to be able to balance that and and then his pay it forward, you know, service to the next generation that came behind him like me, and to be the manager of that team he opened, he was a navigator for me. He, he was a fixer. He was my Ray Donovan. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but, but he, but he, he was, he was amazing helping me navigate through and see possibilities and get housing and, and grant support. And, and, but he wanted me to come and join the Vancouver Cable Cars team. But the only thing I had to do in return is to go and help recruit. And so I ended up luckily finding a friend who knew a friend who was playing JV basketball at Simon Fraser university. And he lost his leg to cancer. And I called him up and his name was Terry Fox. And he came out onto our practice floor. And, uh, you know, this really skinny kind of weak kid who was in the middle of chemotherapy gets into the chair and struggles and, you know, we're wheeling circles around him. And, but at the end of the day, you, you know, through that first practice, you could see he had skills. And he was super determined and, uh, and he was an awesome guy Hmm. and we became great friends, teammates, and we all know what he did, but he was inspired by that team and he was inspired by Stan too. And the culture of that team, this group of like an all Canadian, uh, you know, and in an internationally renowned, you know, global R star in wheelchair basketball, Peter Clistro, you know, uh, Canadian first Canadian uh with a disability to be Canada's male athlete of the year in 72 with Karen Magnuson and Eugene Reimer and of course Billy Inkster who is uh, you know an all-star indigenous athlete uh you know and you know doing unbelievable things and then there's Terry and then there's myself and and, and when this team came together it was like amazing how could you not be inspired by these people um, for me I was blown away in so many it was transformational mm-hmm. it just set me up to a completely different level of expectation and possibility which drove into my Paralympic career and it was the Paralympic career that ultimately made me believe that's my theater uh, that's my way to connect that dream I had that crazy dream in the rehab center about what's possible this world tour in a wheelchair uh, with a purpose not to cure cancer but to help remove those barriers that are out there in people's minds uh, attitudes perceptions and hopefully physical barriers and then maybe one day yeah help find a cure for paralysis but that was the that was the motivation and uh, and finally it kind of came together and there was so many people on the way that kind of vectored me not one moment where you come come down from the mountain you know with the tablets it's mm-hmm. uh, it was a process and i was uh, incredibly grateful to be on the podium you know at the paralympic games you know in the marathon um, winning gold but really being absolutely motivated that, okay, the last decade, I've been on the backs of so many people. Now it's time for me to really pay it forward and and Mm -hmm. give give everything Mm -hmm. for the tour.
0: I love that. We, we talk a lot about like the idea of what's possible and, you know, we we always say something seems impossible until it isn't right. And it's just like one day at a time. And, and I really love like your, the way you were sharing that story, like the connection to your coach and how his invitation to be like, all you need to do is like pull someone else along, yeah. invite someone else and and pay it forward, that kind of mentality. And how, you know, you've talked about um, barriers, but not necessarily physical ones, which is what most people think right away when they yeah. think about someone who has a mobility right. you know issue or a disability. It's like, oh, is there is there barriers to physical access? But flipping it and saying, some of those barriers are in the minds of, of able-bodied people every day and how they would view someone who has a disability or a challenge. And I think that one of the brilliant things that you did was flip that script and say, no, we're going to be leaders and I'll show you like, it seems impossible well, it's not because I'm going to do it. And I'm going to invite you to see all that people have to offer, regardless of their mobility, ability, anything. I think it's absolutely brilliant and like so so inspirational and such a such a cool like homage to the to your coach who said just like it's not about you it's about how can you bring someone else along with you yeah and
2: and he led by example by how he lived his life and the greatest example of when I had to reframe for me was when I was at UBC taking that same old mentality about the wheelchair you mm. know the symbol of disability Uh, down to the coast. And now I'm at a big university and I've got classes. I've got a 25 pound pack of books for my day (laughs) and I'm on my crutches and braces, which I needed to get up the stairs, but I've got like a kilometer between buildings and I've got 10 minutes to get from one to the other. And the first like month I was like literally humping my butt, (laughs) you know, between buildings and arriving five minutes late, dripped in sweat, like, like looking over the corner, grabbing notes from my, you know, person who was next door and, and, and then, you know, literally having to go back and do it again and again and again. And and I just went, oh my God, I I don't think I can finish the year. How in the heck am I going to finish this year? And I looked over and there was my wheelchair and I went, hmm, hang on. Maybe I can put my crutches under the, under the, 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 the seat of the chair after I get down those stairs, put my pack sack on the back of the chair And I can wheel between building the building and I got there in front of everybody else. And all of a sudden it was like, I was on time and it was like, cool. I go, yeah, that wheelchair's not so bad. Actually it's my chariot, uh, for mobility and opportunity. Yeah. And it just flipped. Right. then it was okay.
0: Well, that's, that's beautiful. Maybe that, maybe that's a a perfect jump point into talking about like the man in motion tour because turning, like you had said, that that symbol of disability into a symbol of like true ability and seeing it as a barrier to now a tool for yourself getting around campus and like UBC is no small campus, right? Mm-hmm. But also then seeing it as a tool to unleash your ability to to really like have a in, tremendous impact on the world.
2: Yeah, it was interesting how that dream shaped for me and and I was clear that what I wanted to do was to take my talent, which was at that time as a world champion uh, Paralympic wheelchair marathoner that was forty-two kilometers <laughs> of wheeling uh, in a race, not a not a hundred and thirteen kilometers a day, three days on, one day off, and and forty thousand kilometers of wheeling through thirty-four countries and four continents. But to take that talent and transition from the end of my last race to you know the day I would start, and and actually take a message of awareness. About the potential of people with disability, reframe, and then challenge people to remove barriers so that ability could rise. And and to me, that was my primary mission. And then near the end, someone said, "You know, you really can't. It's going to be hard to measure that as success. You should ask for money as well." And I went, "Oh, I don't know. I'm not that comfortable asking for money." Well, you should because it's a tangible expression. And so I okay, well, we'll maybe we'll raise a a million dollars. Okay, what a crazy dream, but sure. And then it was so hard to start the tour, we upped it to $10 million and uh, thinking that was ridiculous. But hell, it's reflective of the work to start. And there we were on uh, March the 21st of 85 uh, at Oak Ridge Mall. And uh, this group of 200 well-wishers, media, uh, the premier, uh, you know, Terry's mom and dad, you know, cause Terry had passed and, uh, Barry, uh, Betty and Rolly were there and, and basically there we were leaving. And, and as I'm doing this speech, I'd been up night. I had been having a lingering injury, uh, that I couldn't get rid of. It was just shadowing me. And, and I'm tired, exhausted actually, because I, everything was in, everything was in. And, and I now had to leave this event of these people who are kind of thinking, well, yeah, right. He's going to wheel around the world, sure. Uh, and then I go out the parking lot and and underneath this tunnel of Oak Ridge and these guys get into the back of the motorhome and they put a big wooden crate on the top of the motorhome to store all my spare wheelchair equipment because they ran out of room in the motorhome. And they're trying to catch up to me and they hit an overheight warning bar. You know, it says <laughs> you no know, warning. Overheight, you know and so what do they do they don't turn around and find a new exit they sent a crew member up to the top Uh of the motorhome to lift the bar up so the motorhome (laughs) could keep going and got back in the motorhome and just drove straight into the overpass and blew that box out in front of everybody and equipment all over the road you know those 200 well-wishers thinking yeah he's going around the world in a wheelchair he can't even get on the parking lot good luck he'll be back that's uh that's kind of the first day right and uh and it was uh second day i was I was injured um I had tendonitis because the winds were blowing the rain was coming it was zero degrees and after the uh after the end of that uh, second day uh, I was really in trouble and so you know our plans of you know just three guys and an advanced person and then this home team had to radically change and I had to call back to my physiotherapist who had helped repair my dislocated shoulder in time to regain my Paralympic gold medal. And, uh, and you know, I said, look, I'm in trouble. Can you come down? And, and she said, sure. And so she helped me get up the Siskiyou mountain pass and, uh, got me over that hurdle and I asked her, uh, if she would come and stay the whole time. And, and, uh, and she, she went back to her boss and got permission. And, and, uh, that was the ultimate choice, a risk, you know, because we'd been dating and, uh, and Amanda was absolutely instrumental in the success of the Man of Motion tour because she not only treated my shoulder, but she was a friend, um, a trusted advisor, someone I learned to love deeply. And, um, uh, and, and she made me feel, um, like I could but also she made me feel more responsible for my actions and my thoughts and would have tough love sometimes yeah. when I needed to hear it and everyone else was afraid to tell me. And, and, I, and I can, all I can say is that if she didn't come out on the tour, I might have blown myself up or I would have probably blown up the team um, with unrealistic expectations. Mm. Yeah.
0: That's a cool story.
1: Can, can you kind of touch on on that a little further like the the power of of self-belief, but also the power of belief from others when others you know, speaking on Amanda believing in you and, and on hard days, you know that could could carry you when when maybe doubt would kind of creep in.
2: yeah, the, the like the the, the, the the tension between the dream and reality is is a powerful place to play in awareness um you know everyone can have these ideas of you know marching bands and big crowds and money rolling in and all this stuff but the reality is is a lot of long hard lonely miles where nobody's paying attention and you are you are sitting there like really really disappointed frustrated you're, you're sometimes angry and and angry at yourself angry at the team what's going on you know people should be doing this or that and and you need to see that, but but what what you have to also recognize is that in each day, yes, that's true. There is a gap between the reality of where we're at and that dream. But in each day, there's something magic that's happening that you have to see. And if you lose sight, you 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 get consumed by the darkness, and it blows up. And so you have to look for that. And uh, and there's somebody in the team that's staying up when you're sleeping, getting your equipment ready. There's somebody who's on the phone somehow trying to figure out how to communicate to Vancouver or ahead to China and, and they're speaking different languages and and there's others trying to figure out the route where they're lost because there's no GPS, there's no cellular, this is like real time stuff. And and there's sometimes advice and perspective coming through and and then every once in a while there's a person Uh, On the road, uh, a person with a disability who shows up, their face is lit up and they're going, yeah, (laughs) I love it. You're making a difference. Keep going. Mm. And and you know what? Those things happen in some way every little day. and, And I anchored onto those. And it was the only thing that kept me going. And I guess the real time when I would have fundamentally quit was when I came back from China to the States and... And after a year and a bit on the road, thinking that the momentum from China would carry up the Eastern seaboard. And it was the same, um, as when we came down the West coast and across, uh, you know, the South and we just couldn't crack that nut. We didn't have the organizing ability. And I was like, done. I just, you know, in Florida, I said, I'm done, I'm not, we're going to shut her down. And Amanda came up to me and said, you know, Rick, you, you, I know you're angry and disappointed. But you've got it. You've come so far. We've had so many amazing moments of success, and you've got to believe that when we get to Canada, when we have to go across the country in the middle of winter, that Canadians will 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 care, and it will happen the way you imagined or more. And if you don't see it, at least believe in me because I do. And she helped talk me off the limb, um, and uh, and I said, okay. She said, just one more day. Let's just see where we go. Just around the corner, something good is going to happen. And interestingly, we got to New York and we got a call from the Brian Gumbel, um, you know, folks on the Today Show did an interview on a Canada day long weekend, Monday. And Canadians were watching that interview, and uh, a huge wellspring of support. The next day, Michael J. Fox came out. He was filming Family Ties, and he says, "Come on, Rick, you know you got it." You know, Bobby Orr showed up in uh, you know in Boston, my hockey icon and uh, and hero, and and uh, and you know what? We got back to we got back to Canada, and Amanda was right. Hmm. That close, that close from just walking away from the whole thing. One more day. One more day just wow. around the corner providence you know you never know right yeah you gotta believe
0: Oof. the power the power of belief and, and even as zach said and that story just illustrated like leveraging someone else's belief in you their faith that no you can do this like you've got it in you you might not see it you might not feel it but like i i know it's there and like trust in me trusting you you know that is um when we can't i think it's the power of community and partnership Right. And being seen and known by someone who at your worst can still see like you've got it in you. Yeah. And like, if you don't believe it, just trust me yeah,
2: and trust. Yeah. And that, and, and that's so powerful. And, you know, uh, yeah, we're all, we're all in that position at some point, you know, we all need each other. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's it's not a weakness. It's uh it's a strength and, and we have to embrace that when it's real and it's there.
0: Yeah it just uh, as you're telling that story like it just made me think back to the very first story you shared where you know your dad said let's go to that thing and and you weren't sure and yeah. he's like i got you yeah. and he kind of stumbled a bit and he was there and then that bolstered your confidence like that's fast forward all these years and amanda was there she's like i've got you let's go and you kind of were like i don't know and she's like no let's go and like it's just so yeah. cool that you've had that those moments uh, where you can see you know you had it in you but maybe there was someone there to help you yeah. make good on what you could do right and uh yeah. those are just beautiful stories
2: well and anybody who would claim yep yeah, aren't i great you know i, I <laughs> i'm i did it all you know like look at me uh you know the, if i in any way represent that in in my story it's a lie mm. and uh or a mistake in my presentation and communication because uh no it, it was so many people uh yeah and yeah, such gratitude, you know, to be, uh, you know, kind of supported in that journey, and and then to see it unfold, you know, when we came back across the country, um, this huge country, the second biggest country in the world, you know, uh, thinly strung across, you know, this parallel and uh, and and a lot of lot of fragmentation about, you know, who we are, where we've come from, what our beliefs are, but boy, I'll see people come together, um, inspiring me and encouraging me and, and encouraging the dream and participating in it. Uh, it was a dream come true. And, uh, I'm super grateful to have lived that.
0: Yeah, that's, that's unreal. I mean, just the the statistics behind it, right? Like over 40,000 kilometers. Thirty-four countries, just over two years of your life that you dedicated to this, yeah. and um, l- truly like a groundswell of support from places and spaces that I'm sure you would have never imagined. Mm-hmm. I'm curious is there is there a story that you can share of of a place or a person or a group of people that that surprised you? You showed up. I don't know if we're going to get into this country, or I don't know if I'm going to be able to gain access to like this roadway or this place? Is there something you can share that was kind of a, a surprise or a delight or maybe an obstacle turned into an opportunity?
2: Coming to China, you know, we'd been we'd been excluded from Egypt. Uh, We've been excluded from East Germany. We weren't allowed to wheel in the Soviet Union, uh, but we came into Moscow for a little uh, awareness event and we expected the same thing from China. But we got this letter saying welcome we'd love to have you come and it was like oh my gosh i can't believe it because you know out of the entire tour i had uh, you know in my mind i had you know looked at photos and 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 uh, had an, an imagined dream about wheeling through china and trying to you know I- inspire people there in that country and to wheel on the Great Wall of China. Mm. And I'd gotten all this information, you know, from National Geographic and whatever, and I had it all in my mind. And, and there I was Flight, we flew into Beijing and we were greet, greeted by one of the representatives of the son of the chairman who had a spinal cord injury. His name was Deng Pufeng. And, and he had been unbeknownst to me, his life had been saved by the relationship between Pierre Elliott Trudeau the Prime Minister at the time, and and his father. And he brought him to Ottawa to have life-saving medical treatment. And he was inspired by our rehabilitation, um, our human rights. Uh, and he vowed to do that in China. And then when I asked, he went, of course, uh, this is perfect. And when I was greeted, the guy who was driving and who was our host, he looked at me and he and he tapped his wooden leg and he said, Terry Fox and uh, and I went oh that's so awesome and and then he goes and then he puts a cassette on and he and he plays this song St. almost Fire Man in Motion and here we're in China I'm thinking like this this you know like almost like this wall between east and west and and yet here's this guy who knows all about my buddy Terry and and he's playing the song that David Foster wrote about our journey Yes. and it was almost like setting me up for this fantasy experience in, in China where millions of people lined the street from Beijing to Shanghai and and uh, you know in Tianjin there was like a quarter of a million people crushing into the city core to see if it was true. If a person with a disability could truly be wheeling around the world and leading not just a ward of state, an embarrassment to family, a, a shut-in. And it was a revolutionary idea, and uh, and we were part of that. And then, yeah, and then that that symbolic wheel up the Great Wall, it was kind of the one thing I wanted to take away personally as a volunteer, investing my life savings uh, into the journey. I I just wanted a picture uh, of me on the Great Wall, mm. and at the highest point that we could get to, and uh, and so. Uh, I remember you when know, we drove up to this starting point in I think it was Bedling, and there was this crowd, people with disabilities, cameras, and and I was kind of going, oh wow, this is cool. There's people here. I didn't kind of expect that, but big deal. And and then I looked and I went, hey, look at all those stairs, all the, like huge stairs to get up to the to, to where the wall you know started. And I and I froze. I was like completely overwhelmed by this moment. And Amanda, you know, was saying, "Okay, Rick, you know, like they're ready for you." And I'm like, "I can't go up there." And she goes, "Why?" I can't "Well, I can't because this would be the only place on the entire tour that I I can't get up those stairs on my own. It would be an embarrassment." And she looked at me and she said, "Rick, the wall is a symbol, right? You know, you want to get to the highest point." And uh, and I said, "Yep." And she said, "Okay, it's a symbol of." how this tour manifested. It's it's about you and your team. She says, oh, get over yourself and get out there. Let us carry you up those stairs and you wheel up the wall and let that be the representation of what this whole tour is about. And uh, I'll never forget that moment um, by you know being supported by the team to get up there and then have someone behind me between every strokes so I didn't tumble off the wall and get to that spot and, uh, and I have that iconic photo, um, you know, it's in my closet, you know, uh, you know, and I can turn it on once in a while and take a look at it and, uh, and realize there's no walls too big in life that can't be climbed and crossed and, uh, just keep going. And it's inspired me from time to time on the journey since. And, and yet the, the, the the photo of me and the team on the wall, which we did right after that is more potent for me. For sure yeah
1: that's amazing i'm mean, just just kind of thinking about the 113 kilometers a day like i've, I've done a bunch of fondos on on my bike and yeah. you know it's some at times it seemed impossible just completing one to do that day in day out for you know the better part of two years is just like just to sit there and, and comprehend that is is incredible
2: yeah, you know, it was just one of those things where you set your your benchmark. I thought it would be a year and a half uh, at 113 k a day, and it turned out that we had to slow down the pace to 80 k, uh, and uh, and that meant an extra six months, which meant coming across Canada in the middle of winter, and uh, and you know, but that's the reality of any journey. You know, you have you know, it'll, it'll be this, but then it unfolds and and you have to embrace it and make decisions based on your health, based on the real goal, which is not a race, but an impact, a a journey to make a difference. And it all unfolded to be the best possible version of what it could be at -hmm. the time.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. So we're like from the, from the time of your injury, we're kind of 50 years later, Yeah, which is eh? wild to think. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, um, you've, had an like an immense impact an incredible journey what are some of the things that you are most proud of or when you think you know to that that time of your life or looking back as i'm sure you have i know uh, a month ago you were up or at the beginning of july you were up in williams lake and kind of commemorating this this 50 years and since your life really changed and a lot of yeah. people may have let that event change their life in a dramatic way for the worse. And I think that you are someone who is incredibly resilient and and has looked at these obstacles as opportunities, just like the wall photo, right? This is a big barrier, but now it's also representative of the things that you can do. So what are some things that you've learned looking back over those 50 years, like one or two things that you really stand out to you as lessons learned or moments that you cherish?
2: Going back to that site for the first time in 50 years and kind of Looking across the road into the ditch where I was, you know, I I kind of um, I had this really interesting conflict of emotions. You know, at one level it was that the darkness came back and it was like, oh God, that was really hard, and uh, and I kind of imagined myself seeing you know seeing myself stand up out of the out of the rubble, and I imagined myself going over. and giving the, giving this young version of myself a hug and saying, you know, it's okay. It'll get better. It'll get better. Mm -hmm. It's going to be tough, but it'll get better. And, uh, and, and then I, I also had the same, uh, amazing, uh, sentiment of, you know, that, that sense of, you know, I, I wanted to sell my soul for the use of my legs. I wanted it all back. And, my life was done, and uh, and now uh, I'm sitting here thinking, God, I'm the luckiest guy on the planet. Like I wouldn't trade my life for the use of my legs. It's not about that. And here I am. I have this uh, amazing wife who's uh, been with me for 36 years, and uh, and she's, you know given me so much love and support and the journey we've been on with our three amazing daughters and, uh, you know, our, our three grandsons and one on way and, and my work with the foundation and my sense of adventure continues the growth. And so I think it's just so unbelievable, you know, to kind of feel so grateful and, and the ability to know what happened to get there, absolutely, yeah, guts and determination for sure, but a series of decisions and people converging in the right way and the right time. And, and to know that, 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 that led to this belief, right? And, and so I, uh, I kind of go like, wow, what a, what a journey. Like it was a, complete departure from from where i would have been might have been um probably the same human being but they it it forced me to ask the right questions what's important in life you know it's not about whether you can use your legs it's about being able to give love and receive it being connected with other human beings and friends and community it's about expressing your gift and developing your gift because everyone has gifts and, and it's, yes, we have weaknesses, but, and then it's a sense of being able to feel the wonder of this opportunity. And yet don't think that you're special when adversity shows up because we all have it. Michael J. Fox said, we all have our bag of hammers and he's so right. Some are visible. Many are not. Most are not but it's the attitude and the perspective of how we handle it that makes the difference. And it's those choices and uh, boy, uh, those choices have been a brilliant, brilliant ride to this point in time. And all I can do in this sense of gratitude and wonder of the journey so far is, is to try to gain something from that, share my, my little story. Hope that there's ripples that come out and, uh, and, and land in ways that I can't imagine. And I don't want to try to shape it because that's all I have is my story. But if it, if it helps the penny drop for somebody in some way, that's awesome because the penny dropped for me. And then I look to the future and I go, wow. I, I'm so hopeful, right? I have so many more adventures and so much more to do. And I hope that I can stretch it out with every breath and, uh, and just ride it as far as I can. Right. Hmm.
0: That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. What a beautiful reflection, uh, on your journey, on your story, and also like what's left to still accomplish and achieve and,
2: yeah and if you think about it for me and like we, we we won't be able to survive ourselves if we don't understand how and work hard to become you know an accessible and inclusive world and and also we have to also be able to live on on a healthy planet and and if we all do our part to live those values we shouldn't have to choose you know it should be part of our value set our mindset and the work that we do every day to pay it forward and if we all do that in our own way then I believe that uh, we uh, we have uh, tremendous hope for uh, our future here on this earth and uh, and yeah that's my that's my power uh, that drives me forward and and accessibility in conservation is my next big barrier that I'm trying to cross because if 1.3 billion people who live on the planet with a disability today the world's largest minority and aging boomers growing that number exponentially can't have access to the natural world how can they really understand how important it is to to be able to be part of paying it forward and uh, and keeping that world healthy and sustainable for the future for all of us
1: Mm yeah yeah yeah, it's a big one for us, seeing seeing ourselves interconnected with, with the planet and all those that we co-inhabit with instead of separate from. And I think when we can see that integrated, that integration, that, you know, the, our health is also connected to the health of the planet, to the health of the animals, to the health of, you know, the rivers and the oceans, you know, I think that that idea gives me hope and and empowers me to make decisions that are coherent with those those ways and i know you're doing lots of conservation um you know which is uh another chapter of your life that we haven't got into Mm. um but i know being a grandfather now like it's it it changes a little bit doesn't it
2: yeah it it does because you know first thing is is you you get to to be with your grandchild and you're you're no longer the parent and so you get to see it through this beautiful fresh set of eyes and and it, you know this connection that you have and you get to hang and and to introduce you know awareness and and uh, talk about values and and go on adventures and 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 you you need to and think about embracing the uniqueness of this beautiful soul uh, that's come into your world it's part of your family and it's, it's an incredible journey, and uh, I'm blessed, but you also then become more uh, urgent in your belief uh, that we do need to have a sense of urgency uh, for our future. We can't be complacent. We have never been in a more um, fundamental period of time in human history. The, the acceleration of transformation, change, and the expectations of a society based on where we are uh, is massive. Doesn't matter whether it's change in the climate, whether it's in technology and AI, and whether it's in our values of an, an inclusive and just society. Um, they're massive forces that are accelerating, and and they're shaking the bedrock of our individual abilities to catch up in time with that pace and our systems to be able to handle that to change with us. And so our resiliency and our courage and our civility is fundamental to that future and anything I can do to try to help encourage people to be part of the change but to do it in the right way, because if we don't, we can pull ourselves apart to a place where we drop into our own little sound bites of our own little beliefs and, uh, and we become, um, at war with each other, even though if you went above it, you'd realize we care about the same thing. Mm. And I think that's where we have to really spend our time.
0: Yeah. And I I love that. And I mean, I think that your story is a unifying story, right? As you said, you you've gone around, and you see people coming out en masse to to see you and and recognizing that there's far more that unites us than divides us, even in countries and places where different politics, different governance, different everything, it's like, wow, no, hang on. This is common shared humanity and and the story that you share like really invites us to see that and even beyond that the connection from one another, but the connection to place and um, yeah, we're just so grateful for the work that you've done through your foundation, the Rick Hansen foundation and making Canada and the world a more accessible place. And, uh, you're someone obviously who a plan is important, right? Here are the mm-hmm. goals, here are the actionable steps. And I, yeah. I really appreciate that you are not just someone who has this big vision, but has steps to implement it and say, what does it actually look like? How do we start to measure? Like, what is the metric of, and accessible Canada. And then once we know that, how can we say, yes, this is how we know we are accessible because of these things. And, and there's lots of work to be done. The yeah. world is set up for those who are able-bodied. And I think that it's easy to change those things, but it takes time and it takes people like you to be the adventurers, to be kind of on the, on the courageous frontline saying, let's get a metric and say, this is what we need to do to make our communities, our country our world a more accessible place for the 1.3 billion people whose lives would be bettered mm-hmm. by some simple changes and
2: growing exponentially because everybody comes into this club sooner or later <laughs> right and and ultimately the the human rights of it are important uh, for sure because the social justice is, is, is our values but the economic and cultural value proposition of this is fundamental because there's a massive economic opportunity. There's a burden to the confining policies that limit people from not just participating but contributing to our society and our future. And uh, and then there's the cultural value proposition of the diversity uh, of perspective and approach that people with disabilities have faced that we need today more than ever. That resiliency, that ability to reframe and to be interdependent not independent and to find common ground and Mm. and and that's that's really powerful but also for me it's you can believe anything's possible but not everything and so for the future in our foundation strategy We've realized that, you know, we've got to pick a barrier, a big barrier that really could transform how our world exists for people with disabilities. And we pick the built environment, the places and spaces that people live, work, learn and play. If we can't humans actually build things for people and if we can't build buildings to work for people with disabilities and then have that innovation work for everybody, because interestingly, you know where your keyboard came from? came from uh, an innovation to help a blind person. Do you know where your auto books came from? It came from you know talking books for people with visual impairments, your electric toothbrush. It came from mm-hmm. a person with a mobility uh, challenge. And, and you know, do you know where Siri came from? Person with a physical disability who couldn't use a keyboard who actually had to talk and right. somehow that had to get translated. And so when you innovate for people with disabilities it affects and benefits everyone. And so why not build a place uh, that's accessible so that you know a mom with a baby in a stroller can get in and out or a worker with uh, heavy equipment and dollies and, and, uh, and ultimately everybody can benefit from. And why not see a building that was built in a way that can be measured with the same measurement framework and in the same language that we can now aggregate. And when someone asks the question, how accessible are we, we can say, well, let's look at our index and we can give you a report. And, uh, you know, and we're seven out of 10, uh, we've come a long way, but we have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. And, and the only way that's ever going to happen is, is to take that curriculum of universal and inclusive design upstream into industry and make sure that people who are designing buildings and who people who are, developing and constructing buildings uh, and those who are setting policy and regulating buildings and those advocates that want something better that they all have the same framework to work with. So they have common ground language and metrics and that's the innovation and that we're a small little foundation, but if we can create that standard, that curriculum, which we have, and then train hundreds of thousands of people around the world, to be able to implement that in the built environment then that's a true movement that ultimately will fundamentally change the world and normalize accessibility and people will be looking back in the future and they'll be going what was all the fuss about like of course but we're not there yet Mm -hmm. and and yet I'm so inspired by the track that we're on with this innovation which is part of the work we do and and it's uh good work and it's uh exciting to be part of and and i'm super inspired by our team and everybody who's been part of that journey to date
0: yeah it's awesome
2: i love those
1: examples how adversity can can foster innovation and and creativity and and how you know someone's seeing the world through a different lens than than maybe someone that um you know isn't isn't living with disability or, or difference um you know doesn't have that vantage point and can't create that, that, uh, innovation that can change the world. And yeah, like, uh,
2: you know, you, you can look over here. I can see in, uh, in your facility, look at your, uh, your door handle. So what is it? It's like a, it's a lever, right? Yeah. You know, that's normal for everybody now. Right. Do you know how they, what they used to be? They used to be called door knobs. Yes. Right? Well, why do you think they moved to door handles? Because they're super easy for people to just push down and open, right? Yes. You don't have to grab and grip and turn, and that's not ergonomically efficient. And for people with disabilities, that's the way they they, they used to modify doors. They with, used to modify doors to put these levers on so that someone could open the door yeah. with a disability. And now they're used by everybody. It's normal normal we yeah. don't see that and nor should we have to worry about it you yeah know, but that's the journey right yeah. innovation but that's also an economy whoever you know invented that and then started moving that forward now you know in the construction and design industry it's it's manufactured everywhere the prices have come down it's normal and universal for everyone
0: yeah amazing that's yeah. so
1: good well rick um we continue to be inspired by by your story by the work you do by your conservation and your advocacy and activism, and uh, it was—it's been a real honor to to share conversation and share space with you today. And um, we we want to pass our gratitude and our thanks, and and know that this story will continue to to inspire ourselves and future generations. And as we come to a conclusion of, of this conversation, you know, I hope that there are, are future conversations, but uh, we have a closing question that uh, we ask all our guests and I'll let, <laughs> let Dean bring us here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think uh, in many ways, this conversation just circled around this whole thing, but Zach and I, you would ask before we started recording, like why you start a podcast and what was kind of the, the impetus behind it. And, you know, one of the reasons why was is baked into the name. It's called A Little More Good. Mm-hmm. And we were out and, and Zach pitched this idea to me. said, I think we should call the pod A Little More Good. And I was like, ah, oh. as soon as I heard it, I was like, yes, like yeah. that's it. It's what we try to embody and how we try to live every day and create a community and all of this. And so we love to hear from our guests. Like, what does that phrase, that title conjure up in you? What does that mean to you, yeah. A Little More Good?
2: For me, it means being present when you're with someone and being open when you're involved in an environment uh, to be able to understand before you try to be understood, and through that understanding, you know you can see everyone. Everyone needs help once in a while, and every organization or every system. And so, we all have the ability to provide a little more good. And but if you're not present, how would you know? where the moment is and how would you know when to be able to connect your talent and your ability to make that difference at that time. And it starts with being human and it starts with giving someone a smile, making eye contact, listening, and, and then not being afraid to say, you know, can I help? Or how can I help or, and listen to the answer and, and ultimately, and sometimes you know, and you don't have to ask, because I was with a good friend of mine, John Risling, and we were in a little hotel restaurant in Smithers, and there was a family that came down to eat, and they were having a really rough time. There was something going on that was really frustrating, and uh, you know, the parents were frazzled, and the kids were unsettled, and and he heard them talking about something that had happened on the journey. And, uh, and it really was a difficult thing and they were going, I believe, to a, a sick family members, you know, kind of help and need. And so John listened and, and he called the waitress over and he said, um, please do me a favor and, and put their bill on my tab because I think they need somebody. To say it's going to be okay, and mm-hmm. to do what I can, and no one ever asked John to, you know, he he just saw that and felt this is a way I can contribute, and I think we need to do that everywhere.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. That's that's a little more good right there. Yeah, yes. a more
2: good. Pay it forward.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Rick, for yeah. being here today. Thank you for the work your foundation does. Thank you for the work your conservation foundation, the Fridge River Sturgeon Conservation Society. Yep. Got it. And um, yeah, just the work that you have done continues to be someone who is an inspirational human being. Um, and we are so grateful to have shared space and time with you today. So.
2: Oh, well, thank you guys for having me. And, you know, you guys are making a difference. And, you know, this world is made up of difference makers. And by sharing stories and you know, helping people, uh, you know, think about their lives and uh, and make those synapses and hopefully those pennies drop. Uh, you know, you'll never really know the kind of impact you're having, but you are. And uh, thank you. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks,
0: Rick. Whew. All right, there you have it, the one and only Rick Hansen, the legendary man in motion, who really uh, started his work back when we were just young, young lads, uh, but really hasn't ever stopped. The momentum that he started with the Man in Motion Tour has only carried on as Rick uh, continues to seek to create creative and uh, accessible spaces for people of all abilities. And um, yeah, just so grateful again for him sharing about his start lines, his gratitude practices from his injury to being the Man in Motion and now 50 years later, um, as well as some of what he's up to in terms of the cons- conservation space,
1: I'm just looking at his awards and honors, and yeah. I have to like scroll for like three minutes just to like <laughs> make a dent. It's incredible, many
0: like, an accolade, well deserved,
1: all well deserved. Well, that was so much fun and yeah. such an honor, and uh, just uh, so incredible to be in the presence of of a Canadian and global hero. That yeah. is that is Rick Hansen. Yeah. So I'm excited to uh, you know continue to to get to know Rick and uh, hopefully this will be part one of uh, part one of uh, more conversations to yes, come
0: yes I feel like he's got a lot more to share for sure so thank you uh, for listening along if you enjoyed this episode please please let us know leave a comment wherever you listen um, you can find us on Instagram at a little more good and feel free to leave a comment um, share this episode with a friend one uh, of the best ways to get people to listen to the podcast is just when it's referred from a friend I know most of the podcasts I listen to are sent to me from someone usually Zach Um, (laughs) but you know we know each other we know what we're gonna like so if you know someone who was inspired by Rick Hansen growing up send them send them this episode let them tune in and as always we just deeply appreciate each and every one of you your your listens your time um, your attention and all of that so it is with gratitude that we say thank you and tune in next week for another episode And uh, until then, stay good, y'all. Peace.